Amen. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Amen. Amen. Well, now I need a Kleenex after that song. Man, that is just amazing. Amazing. Um, what a day that's going to be. Amen. And we're excited for what God wants to do. And we celebrate that you're here this morning and we get to open up the word of God and, and hear his, its truth today. We've been in a series called David's Diary, story behind the Psalms. And essentially each week we're looking at something that David wrote in one of the Psalms and the story that it's connected to. And today we're going to be talking about uh, David had a moral failure. And we're going to just simply just ask you the question today, what do you do with your failures? You know, some of us would say, well, man, I've had a, I've had a failure worse than somebody else. Or we would say, man, my failures aren't as, as good, as, you know, as, as bad as somebody else's failure. But the truth is we've all failed in some way. Amen. In fact, God wouldn't have sent his son if we hadn't have failed. So what do we do with our failures? Um, if you're new this morning or you've been here for a while but haven't downloaded the Church Center app, I just encourage you to do that. Each week, our message notes are on that app. All of our slides are on there, and you can follow along with that. If you don't, uh, if you, if you don't want to do that this morning, you can open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, or you can go to your phones and, and look at it. I'm actually not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the story because it covers so much ground. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time um, looking at the psalm. But if for those who don't know the story, and maybe for those who do, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at David on the run. He hasn't been king yet. He's been on the run. Saul's trying to kill him. And this week, we're in Second chapter, Second Samuel chapter 11, where David is actually king. And he's been king because God chose him to be king. He's doing what God wants him to do. And Scripture says in Second, Second Samuel chapter 11 uh, that David, normally kings go off to war with their with their army in the spring, Scripture says. And for whatever reason, David doesn't go with his army off to fight. I think he just probably concludes, they don't need me to win. In fact, we read just a few verses later that actually David's army defeats uh, who, their, who their opponents are. And David, David is right in concluding that they don't necessarily need him, and specifically in this victory, to win. Um, but the problem is, is when he stays home, not, even though his army won, David suffers a huge failure. Scripture says that David uh, is home by himself, or he, he's home, he's taking a nap in midday afternoon, and he gets up from his nap and he walks out on the rooftop. Some of you know this story well, some of you don't, but he walks out on the roof, and while he's out on the roof, he notices that there is a woman who's taking a bath however far away. Uh, there's several deductions as to why she's doing that outside, but the bottom line is she's outside and he notices that she's taking a bath. And at that point, he has a decision that he needs to make. Am I going to stay here and dwell or am I going to leave? Uh, lust begins to grow in David's heart and David stays and doesn't say how long, but at some point he asks whoever's with him or sends for him and says, hey, who's that lady over there? And eventually they get back with David and they say, uh, that's Uriah's wife. You know, Uriah the Hittite, it's his wife. Now, David's a good man and you would think that that would stop it. You're like, okay, you know, she's married. 
But it doesn't. He's too far gone in his emotions and everything else that, that happens. And so he uh, says, go get her. And so they do. They go get him. They go get her. Um, you know, back then, the king, whatever the king said went. So Bathsheba had to go because he's the king. And the messenger had to go get her because David's the king. And they get Bathsheba comes to where David's at, and you know what happens when, and in the story. He sleeps with her. A little bit of time goes by. She realizes that she's pregnant. She gets hold of David. This isn't on Days of Our Lives. This is, you find this right in Scripture today, okay? So she says, hey, look, I, I'm pregnant. And David's like, well, I don't know what emoji or gif that you know, we might use, but David's like, oh, my word. Like, uh. So he does some quick thinking, and he thinks, you know, if I send for uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, maybe he'll come home, and he'll do what husbands and wives do, and then he'll know, he'll believe that the baby is his, and we're good. So he sends for Uriah, and he talks with Uriah. They exchange pleasantries and sends him on his way, thinking that he'll just go home and do what he's thinking he'll do. But for some reason, he spends the night outside. He doesn't go in the house with his wife. He stays out. Scripture says he stays outside. He sleeps outside. And so the king gets back with him, and he's like, dude, like, what are you doing? What is happening? What are you doing? <laughs> he's like, what are you doing, dude? And he goes, look, Uriah was a good man. And he's like, you know, obviously I would like to do this, but none of my men can. They're at war. I mean, they're out fighting um, for, for our freedom and fighting for our country, fighting for our people. And I'm not going to go and enjoy something when they can't. And David's like, oh, my word. Gee, many. So he comes up with a, a plan now. It's like the, plat, the plan just gets darker and darker as it goes along. And so he, he thinks, well, I got to figure this out. Because, you know, Uriah can't be spilling the beans about what's happening. So he's, you know, there's a lot of details I'm missing. I'm just giving you the paraphrased version of the story. So, so David sends Uriah back and he, gives it, he tells the messenger, hey, put him where the fighting is the strongest, which was what happened. And Uriah ends up getting killed. And so for a minute, David's like, okay, you know, at least this, this sin is secret. But the scripture says that while, I mean, this kind of works out for David from the, you know, on paper for just a second because David didn't have to go to war. They won anyway. David was able to do what he thought he needed to do. And now no one's going to find out about it. That's what he's thinking in his mind. But there's this verse uh, in scripture that says uh, in verse 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 at the end of that or excuse me, verse 27, it says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Listen, we can fool people, but we don't fool the Lord, amen? He knows. That one little verse, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And a lot of times back then, um, God would speak to people through prophets. He would send a prophet, and he sends a prophet named Nathan to David. There's this huge, long dialogue. He tells him this story you know, that sets David up to say, man, I would, I would kill that guy. That, that person deserves to die. And, and Nathan says, well, actually, that story isn't about what I was telling you about. It's about you. And you were that person that took what wasn't yours. And he says, because of that, 
The sword isn't going to leave your house. The baby growing inside uh, Bathsheba's belly isn't going to live. And there's all these consequences as a result of that. But through all of that, Nathan says, don't worry, God's not going to kill you. And out of that grief and out of that horrible moral failure that had a ripple effect, because we all know that while God forgives sin, the consequences are still there, right? We all understand that. We all live with regrets. If you're in here this morning, whether anybody else knows about it or not, you have a regret or two. We all do. And the person sitting next to you does as well. And out of that grief, out of that situation, David writes Psalm 51, uh, and here's what he says. You got to understand his mindset, right? And picture that. God knows his sin. God's displeased with him. Uriah's dead. He had him, had him murdered. The baby's going to die. And on top of that, there's future consequences because of his sin. He's got all that swarming around in his head. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For here, Listen to this. This is important. We're going to look at this a little bit later. Let's read it. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. You know what's interesting is, Somehow David knows that God is a God of mercy. Somehow David realizes that I serve a God that, that can show me compassion. And it's not just David. God wants to give us mercy and compassion. Amen? But it begins with recognizing my rebellion. You all know those people that they don't say they're sorry or when they say they're sorry it's with a bunch of butts or... It's not really, I'm sorry you feel that way, rather than like an actually an apology, right? For I recognize my rebellion haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say in your judgment against me is what? He's taking responsibility. Like whatever you give me, I deserve it. It's not Uriah's fault. It's not Bathsheba's fault. It's not my servant's fault that went and got her. It's my fault. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire what? You desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. He prays, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Man, we've all been there before, huh? Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Let's read it. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. He says, don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Let's read it. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then he goes on, he says, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Then he acknowledges what he did to Uriah. Forgive me for shedding blood. Oh God who, he doesn't say condemns. He said the God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. 
He says, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. Let's read this sentence. The sacrifice you desire is a a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Let's read that again together. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. He says, look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. So a pretty, pretty intense story, right? And pretty intense thoughts that David had regarding uh, his sin. And I can't help but think today that maybe at some point in your life, you have a sin, maybe, maybe like this, maybe this heavy, maybe heavier, or maybe you're looking at this and saying, well, that's not really me because I didn't do some of these things. But the reality is this morning, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the question becomes, what do we do with our sin? We see in this story that the first thing that puts David on the right track going back the right direction, is that David recognizes and admits his sin. Read that with me. David recognizes and admits his sin. Some of us are familiar with AA. One of the very first steps is an acknowledgement of the harm that we've caused, that, you know, that we've done something wrong. And the reality is this morning, if, if you're a person who's dealing with something, you're wrestling with it, the first thing we have to do is to acknowledge that we've sinned or that we've made a mistake, depending on what it is. David starts his psalm with that. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Remember, repentance comes before restoration. Amen? Say that with me. Repentance comes before restoration, right? Now, we all know people who maybe you have a you know, a dad or a mom or an uncle or an aunt or someone in your life who's quick to say they're sorry, but they really don't mean it, you know, that's not repentance. That's just making their own conscience feel good, right? I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I looked at that porn on the internet. I'm going to look at it again tomorrow, but I'm sorry. You know, hey, wife, I'm sorry I hit you when I got mad. I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it the next time I'm mad. Hey, God, I'm sorry I cheated on my test, but next time it happens and I don't study, you better believe I'm going to cheat. Hey, I'm sorry I treated you bad, but every time I get cranky and irritable, I'm just going to blow my stack and just get mad at you. It's the way it is. Okay, that may be saying you're sorry, but it's not repentance, right? Repentance is this, this posture, this attitude that says, as best I know how, God, help me to turn from my sin. Help me to turn away from that. That's repentance. Repentance comes before restoration. We also see that David prays for mercy. Remember? Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. We serve a merciful God. Amen? Now, some of us, we need to really grab that today because you give other people mercy, but you don't give yourself mercy, right? We serve a merciful God. And for those of us who don't like to give mercy very well, right, 
Some of you have taken a personality profile test and, and, and you've seen people who like their compassion mercy scale is way up here and other people take the test and their compassion mercy scale is way down here. Let me just tell you, that doesn't really matter if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We are called to give mercy, amen? We're called to receive it, right? And we're called to give it. We serve a merciful God and because God is merciful, we can receive mercy, No matter how critical you are of yourself, God's compassion and mercy is available when Jesus said, it is finished. God sent his son so that you and I could experience mercy. And we abuse that when we don't repent. And we start just saying we're sorry, but there's no change taking place in the heart. So for those in here today who feel like you don't deserve mercy because of what you've done, Jesus trumps what you think and I think, right? And he says, you are worthy of mercy for God so loved the world. Not because they deserved it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Those that are listening at home, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's mercy. But also, for those of us in the room who mercy isn't something that we have from a human perspective, that's okay because when we connect ourselves to his spirit, his spirit is merciful. And in the same way that God gives us mercy, we are called to give others Mercy, that's how people know who we are as believers. Amen? That's how people know who we are. It's through mercy. Listen to this. Paul writes to the uh, church in Ephesus, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in? Church, what's he rich in? Who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Listen to this. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. I shared this story many times. I don't know why I remember it. My brother, was, my brother Chris in high school is his senior year, and they had a playoff game. He pray, played really well. The team played really well. And our high school wasn't very good year after year. And this one little span of time, we were really good. My brother was on that team. The game's over. He is, it's been raining. The field is just a big mud hole. And Chris is just covered in mud, kind of like sin, right? Just mud everywhere, stinks. And I like walk up to him and like, what's up, dude? How you doing? And my friend Chad just comes up to him. He's got a leather coat on and just walks up and just. And I remember thinking like, that's how Jesus is with us. He sees our sin. It's not that he doesn't see it, right? Are you blind? Like, do you know who that is? That's Rahab. She's a prostitute. Why are you including her in the lineage of Jesus? Like, do you know who she is? Do you know what she's done? Hello? She is not on the VIP list, I can tell you that. Really? Mary to carry Jesus? She's like 12, 13 years old. Um, Have you seen Goliath? He's nine foot nine, 500 pounds, and you're picking a pre-teenager from Club 56 that's down at the river, chilling out, playing with his toys, and you want him to kill Goliath? Really? 
There's nobody else? And God, who is rich in mercy, came and he died for us so that we could receive his mercy and give his mercy to anyone who requires it and also to ourselves after we repent. David prays for mercy. He also prays for forgiveness, right? Remember that scripture? Forgive me for shedding what? Okay, David, like... You ever met with God before and you got to confess a few things, not just one, right? Some of you get really crabby and you lose it all evening with your family, not just once, over and over. I'm sorry for how I acted all night long. David's like, forgive me for conspiring, for killing. It was awful. Forgive me for shedding blood. Listen to David. He writes in a different psalm. He says, oh, Lord, you are so what? You are so good, so ready to, so full of, for all. Say that with me. All. Because sometimes our all is exclusive rather than inclusive, right? But David writes, for all. Who ask for your help. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. We serve a God who forgives a repentant heart. Amen? Aren't you glad we serve a God who forgives an unrepentant heart? David says in Psalm 51, the one we read earlier, you will not reject You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Let's read that. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So then, right, back to our story for a minute. Nathan tells him, hey, dude, you screwed up. I'm not trying to tell you anything, but God, I'm like, God's going to be in trouble. Like, God's going to get me in trouble if I don't tell you what he said. So I just want to keep it 100 with you, okay? I just used a teenage word. I thought that'd be cool. All right. I'm just going to keep it real with you for just a second. You screwed up. And there's going to be a lot of consequences for it. He says, I have sinned against the Lord, which means that he has acknowledged what he's done. The Lord, let's read it. The Lord has taken away. You are not going to die. Sometimes we think when we follow God, I mean, if you've grown up around the church, we would get it right on paper. We would say that even though God forgives our sin, there's still consequences for it. We would probably get that right on paper, but sometimes we don't act like we get that. Like when we make a, a, a sin, God forgives us for it, but the consequences still play themselves out, right? Someone who's in jail for life for murdering someone. God can forgive them. In fact, um, churches send pastors or or chaplains or lay people who have a heart into prison all the time to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But just because they ask Jesus into the heart doesn't mean the officer is going to open up the door and say, you're out. Go ahead. Leave. There's consequences for it. 
And Nathan says, listen, you're going to have to go through some stuff because of what you did. However, the Lord has taken away your sin. David prays for mercy. He prays for forgiveness. And he prays, prays to be cleansed and given a clean heart. Remember the scripture we read. Purify me. Clean me. Wash me. Whiter than snow. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me what type of heart? A clean heart. Did you know today that God can wash away your sin? Before church every Sunday, we, we as a staff try to pray together. And Jeannie and I were meeting this morning having prayer. And she was like, you got to see this child's lesson that I got. I said, okay, show it to me. And she has this kind of clear paper. And on it, it says, God desires a pure heart. God, God can give us a pure heart. And she goes, I want you to write some sin on there. I'm like, okay, I'll play along. So I like write gossip or lying on there. She goes, hang on, I got to go get a wet wipe. She came back and she's like, watch this. And it's washed away. And the adult in me knew where she was going, you know what I mean? But the child in me was like, that is really cool. That's exactly what God does. When we ask God for forgiveness. Now, we all know people that like to try to be God and say, hey, remember when you did whatever? I know you, God forgave you, but I just want you to remember it. Remember how you acted when you were a teenager? I just want you to remember that. But God he casts it as far as the east is from the west. We serve a God that can remove the stain, right? Some of you have gotten something on your couch before and you can't get it out. Listen, there's no, nothing that you have ever done or that someone else has ever done that through repentance God can't wash it clean. And then David prays for his joy to come back. David prays for God to restore the joy. It doesn't just say joy. It says David, so I thought about for simplicity just saying David prays for God to restore joy, but it's, but it's incomplete. The sentence needs to be longer. David prays for God to restore the joy that comes from what? Salvation. And he prays for the willing spirit to, right? It's an incomplete statement if I said just David, David prays for joy. No, he says, hey, God, I want you to restore the joy that I had from salvation. And I want you to give me the willing spirit to sustain it. Right? I, I, not only do I want you to give me joy, but I want you to build a firewall around my heart. Man, some of us, we've, we've done something, we've said something, we've gone to the, the wrong place, we've said the wrong thing, and we're living in guilt and shame and embarrassment, feeling like we need to have this scarlet A around our neck, forgetting that Jesus died so that we don't have to wear that scarlet A around our neck. You know the story where the woman's caught in adultery. I share it all the time. He says, get up and go, right? But then he says, sin no more. It starts with repentance. But when we repent and we confess and we say, God, I am so sorry. And sometimes he'll call us to restitution, right? Sometimes we'll do something and God's like, look, you need to go to your brother or sister and make it right. And then come to me. But if we're obedient in all those steps that he has for us, and his strength is with us when whatever those restitution steps are. And if you've been walking with Jesus very long, you've probably had to do that. 
Mom, I said it was my brother that took the last cookie. It was me. But sometimes it's even heavier than that. But as, as, we, as we pray, we receive forgiveness and we, we get this sense and we believe in faith that he's forgiven us, we can, re, we can return to joy, right? There still may be consequences and we have to own those, but we can receive the joy that comes with salvation and we can pray that God will give us a willing spirit to sustain it, right? We just read it. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let's finish it. And make me willing to obey you. Listen to this. I was reading online on a commentary, BibleRef.com. It said, it has, been said that the sin caused, it has been said that sin causes the cup of joy to spring a leak. In addition to David's request for restored joy, he asked God to uphold him with a willing spirit. Such a spirit would keep David committed to God's will, let's finish it, and prevent him from falling into sin Again, church, we serve a God who has the power to make us spiritually clean and he desires to do so. Hey, ask your dad. I don't want to ask dad. He's just going to say no. No, really. Sometimes no will come up and he'll be like, yeah, hey, <laughs> my grass money that I've been mowing this summer kind of short. Uh, can I have a, 20 bucks ago? do whatever. And I'm like, no! (laughs) Ask your mom. No. (laughs) If he doesn't ask all the time, I'm like, yeah, sure. And we don't have to approach the throne of grace scared. Amen? We can approach the, the throne of grace with confidence, not confident that we're pure, not confident that, that we've never sinned, but confident that our God is merciful. He is merciful. We serve a God who has the power to make us clean. So before we get out of here this morning, I can't help but think like sometimes when you have it, like we had an event a while back as a church and we always meet as a staff afterwards and say, okay, what do we need to do different? What can we do better for next year? You guys have done this before. But I want to ask, David's received his consequences and David's received mercy. David has a repentant heart. David asked for all these things, wants to be cleansed. God delivers those things. But walking away from it, you know, the leave it to beaver moment, the Andy Griffith moment at the end of the show where they start the music, you know, or uh, what's the name of that show uh, with Bob Saget on it? Uh, And Full House, thank you. Full House, the music starts right, the lesson comes into play, you know. How could David have avoided this whole situation? And for many years, I would say the way that David could have avoided this situation was he should have just went to work, right? He should have just went to war like he was supposed to, which is, which is right. I mean, how did David get here? But when you think about it, yeah, David should have went to war, but deeper than that, what caused David not to go to war? Complacency. Spiritual complacency. Ain't nobody going to tell the king what he can do and can't do. There wasn't no church board over David. He's the king. There wasn't a, a board of directors. 
telling David what to do. David didn't have accountability. And, and you know, David, I mean, you think about this, kind of the golden child mentality, right? David is the one everybody knows the stories about. Everybody knows that David slew Goliath. Everybody knows that David was trying to do the right thing when Saul was chasing him. Let me just tell you, it's not just our failures that can take us down. It can also be our successes. Amen? We're having success. Can I just tell you this morning, the enemy doesn't just show up when you're in your lowest point. He also shows up in your highest point and fills you up not with shame but with pride. I don't need to go to war. <laughs> you know who I am? I'm David. I slayed Goliath. No one else would go do it. I did it. And he was complacent. I want to read you just real quick before we... Here's the dictionary definition. Complacency means self-satisfaction, especially when, he, when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. David was unaware that his ego was on a train going the wrong direction. He, got, he let his guard down. He got complacent. So, so here's the lesson, right? We need to be alert and stay alert. Say that with me. Be alert and stay alert. Be alert and stay alert when your child is going through a low point. And be alert and stay alert when your child's had a victory. And that applies for us too. Amen? Listen to what Peter says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. What does he do? Yeah, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for who? Someone to devour, right? Who's it going to be? It's like when you watch a National Geographic show and he's like, I'm hungry. I don't care who it is. I'm just going to look for the one who's not looking. I'm not picky. Who's it going to be? Who's got complacent? Who's dropped their guard? Who's letting their ego get out of control? Who's feeling so low? Stand firm against him and be what? Strong in your faith. You can't be strong in your faith if you don't read this and you don't talk to God and you don't, and you don't come to church. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers are all over the world, and they're going through the same kind of suffering as who? You are. So be alert and stay alert to avoid becoming complacent spiritually. But here's the last thing. What's your strategy? That's the question we're going to end on. What's your strategy to be spiritually alert and stay spiritually alert? We don't drift in the right directions. We, we're intentional, right? Talk and listen to God daily. I could have said pray, but sometimes we think that it's just like only for people who have been in church a while when we hear the word pray. It's talking with God and listening. Communication is talking and listening. Talk with God regularly. Read his word regularly. The Bible says if we hide God's word in our heart, it helps us not to sin against him. Be consistent in gathering with church family for worship. Now listen, my kids love sports. 
and your kids love sports and or whatever extracurricular activity they're involved in, and that's important, and I get all that. I'm a huge sports nut. If you're around me very long, you know that. I'm not in any way saying that people can't be involved in things, but let me just tell you, don't forsake the gathering together of the people of God. Because most of your kids are going to be done with their sports and their other hobbies when they're 18 to 22 years old, and they still have 40 to 50 to 60 years left of their life, and the foundations that you've sowed in them when they're young are going to go with them the rest of their life. And we're sitting around saying, I can't believe they only go to church on Christmas. Well, that's what you did when they were growing up. Build that foundation. Be con- I'm not saying that to scold. I'm saying that because we just need to know that. Be consistent in gathering with church family for worship. Join a small group for community. And let me just tell you, those of you who've been in church a while, right? You've grown up in church. I don't want to go to small group. Well, maybe you don't, but you know what? So maybe somebody that night needs you to be there. Community is important. You know, I was thinking... We see this time of year, people are joining sororities and fraternities and, you know, schools getting ready to start and all these different groups of people. Everybody's trying to find a group. The church should be the place where you find a group. And find accountability partner, right? Some of us have things in our life that not everybody needs to know about, but somebody needs to know about, right? And it's not just the obvious things, but maybe you just need encouragement, Maybe you've been dealing with a family member who's passed away or whatever it could be. Find that accountability. So what's your strategy to be spiritually alert and stay spiritually alert? Because then I tell you, we were created to worship the Lord. We were created to give him praise. We were created to proclaim the good news that God is a merciful and forgiving God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. As the band comes, maybe you'd like to come and you'd like to respond to something that we've talked about today. Maybe you'd like to come and pray for someone else. Maybe you'd like to come and pray. I know schools have all kicked off, but come and pray for, for schools. Maybe you have something, a physical need or something you'd like to come and pray about. But we just invite you to we open up the altars. You can pray right where you're at, but you can also come and pray here. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for who you are. Thank you that you are a God of mercy. Thank you that you are a God of grace. We pray against complacency, Father. We pray against being lukewarm in our faith. Father, I pray that we would be people that seek you with all of our hearts. I I pray that when we're on the rooftop in our life, that we have sown in us your word and your spirit, that you would give us the strength not to stand there but to, but to run as Joseph ran. And God, we give you praise in Jesus' powerful name. All his people said, amen.